When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we've got the return of a friend. He's a national reporter for The Athletic. He's 50% of allocation disorder. He's Paul Tenorio's other better half. It's Sam Stasekul. Sam, thank you for being here. Nice to talk to you, buddy. Listen, I'm my own man. You don't have to define me in terms of Paul Tenorio, okay? So this is actually my opening question for you is, do people now lump you and Paul together? Are you allowed now? to have your own identities? Are you BFFs for life? How does this no, work? No, we've been lumped together for a long time. It is what it is, you know, like he's a decent guy, so he can live with it, but whatever, you know, sometimes you just want to be an individual. No, I'm kidding. Paul's great. He's a, he's an excellent guy. He's a very close friend of mine. Um, yes, but people do love us together. <laughs> how long have you been sure. friends or how long have you like been in each other's orbit? Put it that way. Oh, uh, so this is kind of a funny story, actually. Um, so Paul and I both went to the same college and when I was, a, he's a few years older than me and we didn't know each other in school. He graduated right right before I showed up. Um, so we didn't cross paths. But when I was a senior, I was looking to stay in soccer for my career. And Paul was working at the Washington Post at the time. And I was just in that zone, you know, where you're like reaching out to everyone and anyone who's in the field that you want to be in and saying like, how did you do this? What do you think I should do? That sort of thing. And so I emailed him out of the blue. And I was like, hey, can we talk? Like, and he was like, sure. And so we talked on the phone. And this is in the fall. And uh, a few weeks later, <laughs> he emails me and he's like, hey, my brother's coming to visit the college. Um, I want to give him like an authentic experience. I'm going to be there too. But I want to give him like a real like campus, like student experience. Would he be able to stay with you? He was a prospective. I don't know if mm -hmm. he was a junior or a senior or in high school or whatever. And I said, that's kind of weird. But yeah, sure. Have him come over. And, um, so he came over, it was like, there was, again, it was a false, there was a football game that weekend and, you know, we have a good time. Um, and I eventually lost his brother <laughs> <laughs> having too good of a time. Uh -huh. Um, it all worked out. Everything was cool. He, he ended up on the couch at one of my friend's houses. Um, so it was fine, but yeah, kind of a funny story. And then, uh, you know, so that always, that, that always like bonded us. Right. Um, and then we started crossing paths more like, I don't know, five years ago when he was, I think, at 442 and I was working for MLS Soccer. And then we briefly worked together at MLS Soccer and we both lived in Chicago for a hot sec. And uh, then I got hired at The Athletic and now we talk for 15 hours a day, yeah. every single day. And now you're eternal life partners. I like exactly. it. Oh, yeah. I will uncouple you then to ask what was your <laughs> Sam schedule uh, for the, the last international window? 
my schedule. Yeah. Um, Where we? I don't how, even know how detailed do we need to get here. Do I mean, you I want like, know, an like hourly how, like, breakdown? Yeah, yeah. If you don't mind, okay. what you ate when you used yeah. the restroom? No, mostly like I don't know how much you were with the team. Were you with the team from the start? Were you in camp? Mm-hmm. Were you traveling to to so, uh, other we, countries and coming back? How did it work out? Yeah, I was there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, with the team is a little generous because there was a lot of not being allowed to be near the team because were you with Weston McKinney? Because if so, that would be new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was the person that he broke up to come see. Yeah. Knew it. Um Paul's gonna no. be Paul's gonna be devastated that you yeah, went out with Weston McKinney instead of him. No, he was there too. What are you talking okay. about? Um no. Uh, no none of that is true. I shouldn't be joking <laughs> about this. Um yeah, so I got to Nashville Monday. Um so players were, arrived on Sunday and Monday and I got there on Monday. And uh, I was with, with the team the entire time. So flew down to uh, El Salvador the day before the game, flew back the day after, stayed in Nashville through the Canada game, then flew down to Honduras the day before the game, and then flew back to my home in New York uh, after that one. So yeah, I was there for what? I think it was like 12 days, 10 days, something like that. Um, it was cool, man. It was fun. And for the most part, are, are journalists staying in the same hotel as the team when you're going on no. those away trips? I mean, theoretically, you could, but mm. that would sort of be outside of our budget, I think. Um, the U.S. stays in, in nice hotels. I had a um, <laughs> actually, in Nashville, we did stay in the same hotel as Canada, oddly enough, um, which was like right off Broadway. It was quite loud. I was staying on like the 24th floor and like it was loud on the 24th floor, like from the street. And I was like, dang, man. Alfonso Davies, like this man needs to get a good night of sleep. Um, I actually saw him in the in like the snack bar after the game. Um, in <laughs> after do. that night, um, so we did not like loading up on Cheez-Its? What, what was he going for? I think he, I think he got a healthier option. I bought like two cans of beer, and Alfonso like got a salad, and I was like, "Hey, man, good game." <laughs> um, and he was like, "Thanks." He's much bigger than you. He's tall. I'm a pretty tall guy, but Alfonso Davies is about my height. He's a big guy. Um, Yeah, so we didn't stay in the same hotel. U.S. soccer, so just to give a peek behind the curtain, they arrange a hotel um, or they arranged hotel for all of the traveling journalists in El Salvador and Honduras. Um, So it made it nice and easy for us. Obviously, we had to pay. Like, there's, you know, they're not giving it to us for free or anything like that. But they arranged accommodations and, like, you know, so we didn't have to worry about where are we going to stay in these cities. Um, They also arranged all transportation for us in those cities, which was cool. Um, and there were some police escorts involved in both cities, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, something I had never experienced before. Um, Running those red lights. Yeah, it was wild, man. I'm like, the first one we had in San Salvador, it was like the the U.S. flight was a little bit delayed because they had to work around some weather coming down from Nashville. And so there was an availability and then they're going straight to training. And so it was kind of a tight window because the flight had been delayed. And so they're like, you guys need to get to the, the, the team hotel ASAP. Um, and the bus wasn't leaving until two U.S. soccer employees got to our hotel to sort of escort us over there. And there's like, I don't know, 10 reporters. And we're getting a police escort during rush hour in San Salvador, like winding down these little mm-hmm. back streets. Um, and I'm like, this is just so like we're not late for a press conference. <laughs> Wait, I, was so like, I'm pre- I was like, that's kind of weird. 
but that's that's what it was. That's impressive, Sam, because I was about to ask, like, I've been in one convoy that had an escort, and it was very hard for me in that moment being, I was just like a, like a journalist tagging along, but it was very hard in that moment not to feel like, yeah, this is for me. I'm part of this. So, like, it's, it's good that you kept perspective and were like, this is for a press conference. Well, it wasn't it was super, it, I got to say, it was not a super effective ah. police escort. <laughs> like, we were not zooming through traffic. Like, it was ah, still okay. pretty slow going. Honduras felt more like that because they, those guys were legit. Like, they were, we had motorcycles that were like literally like effectively jumping off their motorcycles and pushing the cars out of the way with their okay. own two hands. I mean, they weren't doing that, but you know, I exaggerate a little bit, but it took 10 minutes to get to the stadium from the hotel in the middle of rush hour on, on game night. So that was a little bit of a different experience than so, in El Salvador. And that felt more like you just described. We may end up talking about the U.S. national team in Major League Soccer. I am content to continue to talk about this topic for a moment because staying yeah. in the same hotel as Canada in the States, was mm-hmm. there any tomfoolery from U.S. fans? Were there any fire alarms going off that you were aware <laughs> of or was it all pretty calm? Uh, I saw some U.S. fan talking mess to John Herdman after the game. Uh-huh. And he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I mean, there were, uh, there were like several million, uh, bachelorette parties going on. So, you know, it, like I said, it was loud. Uh, I don't think that had anything to do with the fact that Canada was staying in that hotel though. So I think those were two independent, uh, situations. No, no real shenanigans, except for me saying hello to Alfonso Davies and that one drunk U.S. fan being like, John Erdman, Canada's terrible. And he's like, so what are you? <laughs> <laughs> um he didn't say that i don't think that's not a direct quote but yeah you don't have to picture. i think when, when you've just done what yeah. did, i think he didn't yeah. need to say much you mentioned bachelorette parties there is that where some of that narrative came from because i do feel like as we heard about what was going on with mckinney and breaking uh protocol that there were a lot of jokes about him like being involved in bachelorette parties and and going out and, and doing things like that is is that sort of what it was was it all in the hotel uh I have no, like, what Weston did? No, more like, more like I hadn't, I had been wondering why I saw multiple people tweeting jokes about bachelorette parties oh. with Weston McKinney. That's like fam- a very specific thing. Are you familiar with Nashville? I mean, I'm familiar with, like, the, the bars and such. It's the bachelorette party capital of the world. For real? Yeah, more than Vegas, more than Miami, more than anywhere else. They have, it's the busiest city for that. And, like, like, I mean this seriously. Do people love hot chicken? Like, why? Uh, I don't know, man. Ratty times. Like, it's just you go down there and you wear your tank tops. Let's get nasty. <laughs> like, like the number of those that I saw, they have all mm-hmm. these different uh, party bus-like contraptions that are like pirate ships and uh, like decommissioned military vehicles. And they just like parade through town, like open top, um, open top on the vehicle, to be clear. Yeah. Um, and they're having a they're having a good time and drinking and I don't know, man. Well, like let me, girl, white girls like country music. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, well, let me ask you this: thing. since we're on the topic of like rowdy atmospheres, yeah, there was uh, after the El Salvador game. Uh, there are many people, myself included, who were sort of arguing that Concacaf on the road is difficult. You've got these ha- uh, these got these like hostile atmospheres. You've got young players who maybe aren't experienced or aren't used to it, and now they're feeling this pressure at national team level. Mm-hmm. There seems to have been a backlash to that yeah. after the Honduras game of like, actually, it's not that hard and it's not that intimidating and it's overblown. <laughs> it was interesting to me that some of the people that were saying that are the people who have been building the narrative that it's uh, always been incredibly difficult. Weird economy, to play there. Huh? 
yeah, yeah. strange. But so uh, for you, I was there, one of the people. Yeah, I was one of the people who was saying that after El Salvador. Okay, mm-hmm. so like you guys are all latecomers to this party. Mm-hmm. I'm the cool kid. I liked the first album. Um, so was it difficult? Was it hard? Uh, yeah. Like it's you know. So let me just let me just like wind it back a little mm-hmm. bit. It's the first time that basically this entire group has ever done this, right? So even if it's not difficult or hard or intimidating, it's new and that requires an adjustment, right? That makes sense mm-hmm. with me. Um, that being said, is it as difficult as it was 20 years ago? Probably not. Like mm-hmm. there, there weren't any, there was no music or fireworks outside the hotel in either country. You got a good night's sleep. Or if they didn't, it wasn't because of any shenanigans from fans. Uh, And, and, you know, San Salvador, it wasn't particularly hot. Uh, There was some humidity, but it wasn't, like, overwhelming. Um, The crowd was amazing, but it wasn't, like, super hostile, Mm -hmm. right? I've been to college football games that felt a little scarier, I guess. And part of that is, is just the fact that nothing really happened during the game to get them something to cheer about. Right. Obviously, we saw Gio Reyna get showered with beers when he was taking corner kicks in the second half. Right. So there were things happening that don't happen at Dortmund, for instance, or in the Champions League. Right. So it's different. And and that definitely played a role in the U.S.'s performance in these two games. But like and I wrote this after the El Salvador match. It wasn't the only thing at play. Like the U.S. was also just like not great in that game. Like it wasn't just because it was new and it was intimidating. It was because they were just off, right? And and part of that being off was because of the environment and the newness. But part of it is just because they were they were off on the night, right? So I think to attribute everything to it is naive. Um, I think there you got to account for some of it. But like, I mean, you remember that game, Taylor? Like, yep. they were struggling to complete passes. You know, so, the yeah. first touches were bad. Like, it's you know, it's just yeah, they, they just didn't have a great night. <laughs> In, in your opinion, then, is it like, is that an okay criticism just to say, like, yeah, it was an off night? Like, if Burhalter came out and said, yeah, we had an off night, we didn't play the way we wanted to, and he it's did not good enough, right? Like, would that be enough though? Like, do you feel like that should be enough, or do you think it requires further explanation, further sort of analysis, or is it okay for a team to just have an off night? Do you think? Well, I mean, far be it from me, a member of the media who gets paid off of that further analysis, to say it doesn't require further mm-hmm. analysis, right? But sometimes it is what it is. Sometimes there aren't deeper factors to play. Yeah. And and when I look at the first two games in particular, you know, I think you can look at Burhalter and the subs against Canada and say they came too late. And Burhalter basically said that after that game and he saw what he did in Honduras with making changes far, far earlier. Um, but I would put most of the most of the issues in those two games on the players. Um you know, Greg Berhalter wasn't telling Sergio Dest to just like not play defense, like I'm guessing, in the El Salvador game, and to lose every single challenge he went into. Right? He wasn't. He wasn't telling the team to move the ball super slowly against Canada and and not break lines. Right? And you can argue with the personnel he had on the field, whatever. But like, I put most of the first two games on player execution. The third game was an entirely different story, mm-hmm. um, and we can talk about that, but. Yeah, sometimes though it's it's not deeper. Sometimes the guys are just off. 
I may have asked you this before. I'm going to ask it again. From your understanding of Greg Berhalter, is he the type of coach who's fixing things in game or is he more the type of coach who wants the players to figure it out and trust them to do so? And then if they're not, he'll make adjustments at halftime or in the second half. Well, hmm. you know, I don't know that I have a great answer to that question. That's Um, fair. I don't either. Obviously, the Honduras game, he changed things significantly Mm. at halftime of that match, both in terms of personnel and formation and all of that stuff. But he had to fix it because he got it really wrong at the Mm. start. Um, The other two games, you know, we didn't see that. He trusted the system and he was more, okay, guys, let's go figure it out. Let's be a little cleaner. And like, you know, what are you going to do against Canada tactically to to Mm. better break down the compact low block that they were in? Right. Yeah. I don't really know. I'm not a coach though. So I'm not paid to do that, but like, you know, you can play faster. You can try and position guys in different spots. Um, You know, there were a lot of things that went wrong in that match. Um, But I think he's willing to take the initiative in some matches. I think he wants the players to figure out in others. I think it all depends on the context. So how's that for an answer? I think it's pretty good enough for you. Uh, Yeah, sure. Because because it's also kind of a vague question. Let me ask it more specifically. When you're talking about Serginho Dest and like just deciding not to defend, what I get tripped up with is, is that a thing that he is has told Dest? Yeah, go be more attacking the defensive. Is he okay with it in the moment because Dest is reading the game and kind of improvising? I mean, or is that a thing where he's screaming at him, get back, get back, get back, and Dest just isn't listening? And and like those are three very different scenarios that mean very different things for the team, he, at least from my perspective. It's a ba- like Dest specifically is a balance, right? Because he's such a creative guy and he's so good on the ball, right? So you want him to get forward, mm-hmm. right? So you understand that there are times when he might be caught out a little bit because he's caught forward. And that's the risk that you take. That's the trade-off that you're making. In, in the El Salvador game, I mean, when he's – there was an instance, and I, I don't think I had eyes on Burhalter when this happened, but there was an instance, I think he turned the ball over. Tyler Adams then ran past him, like sort of got into a challenge with the guy, slowed him down. Dest caught up, got into the challenge. It was two on one. The ball kind of took a weird bounce in El Salvador's favor, and the El Salvador guy ran onto it further down the field. And again, Adams ran past Dest to make the challenge again. And eventually the ball was blocked out for a corner. And afterward, Tyler Adams, he's like palms to the sky, like shaking his head. Like, what is going on here? Yeah. Like, I'm sure. Yeah. So there is a trade-off. And sometimes he's going to be caught up the field and you're going to be a little bit exposed at the back. And, and like, that's part of the deal. But when you are, you expect the guy to hustle, right? <laughs> like, I, that's that not something... Good. That's Berhalter isn't telling him, hey, don't run as hard as you can when you're caught out. Or if he is, then I don't know. I've never heard of a coach doing that, so I'd be surprised. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. You may have just answered this when you mentioned Tyler Adams covering a lot of ground and and doing defensive things. Who was the player from these three games that stood out to you as being the one most likely to sort of define the team? Like, I think when you're talking about the U.S. teams of the past that sort of ground but still had the skill to get something going, it was Clint Dempsey and kind of trying stuff and not backing down and being up for that fight. And I still look at this team and don't know who that person is, who's going to kind of take the lead, take charge, make people play the way they need to play to get the result that needs to happen. Yeah. My inclination was Tyler Adams, and I saw a lot of that frustration. But 
the lack of a kind of unified response is what made me scratch my head a bit. Oh, I think that's part of the youth of this team. They're still figuring that out. Mm. Right. And I think that's a good point. I, I would love to see this point. is part of the reason why I think it's important for Berhalter to name a permanent captain, because I think the guys are sort of like, I don't think it's a yeah. huge thing. I think we're talking percentage points, but I think like maybe guys don't go as far as they could in terms of like, like kind of getting on each other and being accountable and all that stuff. Um, I think Weston McKenney can be that guy when he's not yeah. suspended for games, but he also drifts in and out of games. You know, his performance during individual matches can be super, super volatile from one half or one 30 minute period to another. Right. And so that makes that a little bit difficult. Adam certainly has the personality to be that guy, uh, but his position, you know, he can't really do it for the attack. Uh, so that's an issue there. Um, I think Brendan Aronson, in some ways can sort of set the tone. That's more of a lead by example, not by like vocal stuff sort of thing. Right. But how hard he presses from the front and the fact that he's really good at turning guys over like that energizes a team. Mm-hmm. So the Canada game's a perfect example, right? He created the goal by turning somebody over at midfield and then he finished it too. Unless I'm misremembering he scored, right? He scored yeah. that goal. I think so. so like that sort of individual play, even if the guy is, deaf and mute, you know, can, can inspire a team. Um, so I think he has that in his bag. Um, but yeah, I think this team's still figuring that out to be honest. And I think that's one of the things that sort of needs to be figured out because that's a, it's a pretty big question mark. I think you saw Pulisic try and do it against Honduras in the second half, uh, before he got injured, but it's still learning for him too. Cause there were times when he's on the ball and, he, and he's like trying to do it all himself. And I get yeah. the inclination. I get what he's trying to pull off. But it's also like, how do you balance trying to put the team on your back with also like making the smart pass in the moment? Yeah. So we, we, they still have to figure it out. We're doing a listener question show tomorrow. I don't want to step on this too much, but we had that question of like, what's the difference between hero ball and taking the game by the scruff of the neck? And I think that difference that you just described there is is going to be my answer more or less. Uh, mm-hmm. So tune into the show tomorrow to hear that one. In the what meantime, when we're talking about that, yeah, right. When we're talking about like the <laughs> leadership figures or potential leadership figures. Uh, yeah. My number one candidate would have been Weston McKinney heading into this camp. Then <laughs> there's the obvious. Not Adams. Uh, no, uh, because I think going back to when McKinney first like breaks through and starts getting caps with the national team, it just it looms large to me. Stuff off the pitch and little things like stands out, and the way he was the one who was always making a rondo competitive, and there would be like like punishment or, or keepy uppies, and you got to flick somebody yeah, in the yeah. ear if they're the one who dropped it. I don't always love that because I don't have that like next level competitiveness that you need to be <laughs> that professional athlete. You're not a professional athlete, exactly. Yeah. And he is, and and I think you need that feistiness, but there also seemed to be a a jovial nature to it that it mm-hmm. felt like he could be that sort of person who motivates but also can ease the tension at the same time and that fi- feistiness i think you want as yeah. well and it's that combination that had him as my number one candidate i don't know if that's where he is right now in the rankings <laughs> uh probably not huh um, yeah i mean that's that's kind of where, well let me ask you that then uh, mm-hmm. how big of an issue do you think him breaking protocol being sent home was Donovan Landon Donovan stated his yeah. actions were beyond repair or almost I mean, beyond repair. I don't, I don't know about that whole thing, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but I don't know what he did specifically. Like yeah. I know it was reported and I was able to confirm what was reported, but I don't know the specifics of what he did. Uh, I do know what the players said about it in public. 
And the, the watchword, the, the buzzword was disappointed. Mm-hmm. Right. Matt Turner had a pretty strong quote. His buddies, Tyler Adams and Christian Pulisic, who, those guys are good friends. We're like, yeah, it's really disappointing. You know, you can't hold it together for 10 days. Yep. It's really disappointing. And your team needs you and they, and you let them down. Right. And who knows if he was the only guy to do it or not. Right. His, his dad had that tweet that would indicate that he wasn't. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll be able to confirm some of that one day, one day, one way or the other. But when you do something like that, it sort of illustrates, I mean, it's a young team, man. They're not fully mature. These guys, they're not a lot of them. And I think you can throw Weston into that group given what happened. And yeah, he can keep it jovial and he can keep it light. But when it's time to work and when it's time to be serious, can he be serious? And yeah, most of the time, sure. But clearly not all of the time. And I think that really hurts you if you're trying to be a vocal leader in the locker room going forward. Because how can the guy next to you take you seriously when you make a mistake like that? Is there a path back for him in that way? Mm. Of course, right? It's not It's not like an unforgivable thing, what he did. And it's a mistake and he'll learn from it, I'm sure. And he'll continue to be a big, important player on this team. And yeah, there's a road back, but there's got to be some changes if he wants to make it all the way down there. I want to ask you, and I want to find the right way to ask this question, but like, as you understand it from the reporting you have done, from what you have read, what do you feel like is the the best truth that we can tell about what happened essentially because there's so much rumor and innuendo and speculation yeah. about what went on i don't really care about that i'm wondering for you like if we have a lawyer listening maybe like a lawyer who's going to give you a little bit of leeway but if we're looking for like what <laughs> happened like here is my account of what i understand to be the case what happened uh with weston mckinney uh i mean like, I don't feel comfortable going into any of the, what did he do? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously he broke protocol. He, you know, he stayed out a night when he was supposed to be in the hotel and he did not stay in the hotel. And he brought somebody into the hotel that he wasn't supposed to bring into the hotel. Beyond that. Lyle objects to your characterization Lyle. of what happened. Come on, man. Lyle <laughs> wants me to get spicier. Um, no, but I'm not going to get spicier. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, Lyle and listeners and Taylor. Um, so the devil we, dog on your shoulder is Lyle. We, we, we know that. I don't know who any of these things are with or what they yeah. entailed. Or, so I'm not going to yeah. say anything. But if I was to put like I, a pin, Sam, I guess I was, what I'm saying is no, you I not know, saying things and, is and, important to me. Like yeah. I want you to not speculate because to yeah. me that means we don't know and it means that Twitter yeah. was making stuff up. Well, you know, like uh, we don't know, right? We don't know. We don't know the full details. But what what is clear is that he violated team rules and that he couldn't hold it together for 10 days. Yep. And in that way, he was selfish and he let his teammates down. Yep. And and that's that's the takeaway. It almost doesn't matter what he did, right? There were rules. He knew them. He violated them. And he put himself above the rest of the group. So let's go 
with a happy way of talking about the national team to to end this part of the chat. Are there players coming out of this break or maybe that weren't involved in this window that mm-hmm. you feel more comfortable with or, or are more reliable that you feel like you know what they're going to bring to the equation? You want them in that squad. Who are those kind of main people that you would have on yeah. the roster for a step like it tomorrow? You know, we, we were talking about this before we started recording and sample size being an yep. issue with the national team. Yep. And now we can get carried away with, with certain people. I feel very confident in Miles Robinson right now, having said that. I thought he performed well. Um, you know, the Canada goal could have been better from him, could have been better from quite a few people, honestly. Um, but other than that, I thought he was he was solid. And I feel like you have you feel good about that right side center back spot going forward. Um, so that's one. That's a guy on the roster, right? Um, others, 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 others. Why am I blanking out here? How about Matt Turner? Matt Turner. Thank you. There we go. Uh, yeah, I mean... Berhalter said it after the last game. He didn't look like he was playing in his first qualifiers. Nope. He didn't have a ton to do, right? But he made a couple of big saves, one against Canada, one against Honduras. Um, And I don't know. I think he should start in the next window, just given the fact that he's playing. Zach Steffen isn't. Uh, By the way, he's now more experienced by three games in World Cup qualifiers than Zach Steffen. Um, and for everyone that's going to be like, but he can't play with his feet. All right. He's not great with his feet. Neither is Zach Steffen. Right. Like that's part of this too. (laughs) Like what's the alternative? So yeah, I think he should start. I'm very, very curious to see what Burhalter does in that position because I know they rate Steffen highly and I do too. I think he's a good goalkeeper, but I think Turner is a good goalkeeper as well. And I think he's kind of earned that spot. Um, so that's another, well, uh, while you think I'll add, uh, yeah. I was reading, a, uh, your sort of synopsis of what happened with Weston McKinney for the athletic, uh, the one yeah. you wrote for the athletic, um, and sticking with Matt Turner, yeah, when he was asked about it, I think he was one of the ones who mentioned, you know, disappointed or whatever. Like there was somebody who gave a very like whatever happened, happened. And now we have to see what happens next. But whatever happened, it's in the past. And so happened. like it was just using the same word over and over. I did appreciate that. But Matt <laughs> Turner pivots to uh, here's the I, I like. I shortened it because of Twitter, but the quote was, there needs to be a precedent set at some point when it comes to this virus. It's about the bigger picture. There's rules that are in place and it's definitely a wake up call. This virus is still out there. It's rampant and you need to take it seriously. That is him answering a question about Weston McKinney breaking protocol. And I think that to me is a diplomatic way to answer that question to say, yeah, it's disappointing, but here is a larger talking. I mean, that that's what a, a politician does in a debate. That is how you deflect, but deflect into a thing that we should be deflecting to, which is taking hmm. COVID seriously. And so I bring that up to say that that was a sort of another notch for me and why I love Matt Turner and think he should be the starter that you want somebody who's like smart and, and quick on their feet to be able to like, deliver those sound bites that you need that can also kind of deflect a little bit. And to me, that's the, what you want when you have a communicator in the back, you want somebody who can communicate effectively and, and be smart with what they're saying. I just really liked that the way he kind of moved that to what he wanted to talk about, but then made a point with it. So yeah, I'm with you. I like Matt Turner quite a bit. Yeah. Um, obviously peppy, right. Mm. But you know, sample size, sample size. That being said, he's continued to do well in MLS since camp. Um, man, Lyle is on. Lyle's not into Ricardo Pepe, it seems. Um, and the nature of that position, I mean, you sort of have to start him in the next game, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, it's not like anyone else is beating down the door to get minutes there. So, yeah, uh, I think that's cool. I still want to see more. I really like Ricardo Pepe. I think mm-hmm. he's very good. I'm very optimistic about him. But, you know, he's 18 and a million different things can happen in his career that can propel it to 
heights unseen for an American striker or just like, you know, a regular career that doesn't meet all of the lofty expectations around him right now. So grain of salt with him, but I really like him. Um, I think Gio Reyna is really important to this team. I think we that was hammered home uh, when he was missing from the two games. Uh, I think Yunus Musa is also really important to this team. Um, one of the big issues for the U.S., they didn't have anyone that could really progress the ball through midfield, right? And Musa can do that uh, on the dribble and with his passing in ways that Adams and McKenney and others cannot. Um, I thought Aronson showed his worth again. He continues to do that. Um, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't good against El Salvador. But when you play him on the wing, you know exactly what you're going to get from him. And it's like a ton of defensive work, a ton of running, a guy that can stretch the back line and get in behind and who's pretty goal dangerous when he gets the ball in good spots. Right. So that's a really good option for the U.S. to have, even though wing is a relatively strong position for this group. Um, Anthony Robinson, I thought was good, you know, and he was a guy who like, you know, when he started out with the national team, I was like, yeah. what, what is this? <laughs> he was terrible. <laughs> and he was thrown into some tough games, right? I think it yep. was like Colombia and Brazil when we first saw him or Mexico or something like that. I don't know if the U S played Brazil anytime recently. So maybe it's Colombia and Mexico, but he really struggled. Um, so that was one that, that was good for me. Um, and people are going to hate this answer. Taylor, are you ready? I am. Tim Ream has value in this group. Yes, he does. Like on the field and off. Maybe more off. Um, You know, we talked about the fact this is such a young team and it's not really super mature yet. Uh, Tim Ream is like a a veteran player (laughs) and and he is active in helping to bring these young guys along. You know, I've told this story, I think, on Allocation Disorder, maybe other places. During the Canada game, he was like literally up on the sideline next to Berhalter coaching up Robinson in the second half. He was like, hey... I don't know what he was saying, but he was like pointing in different spots and like, obviously they're club teammates. So they have a relationship, but you know, it, it just kind of goes to show like that veteran presence is needed because there is so, that lost generation, right? We're still seeing that manifest even on this team. Cause there aren't guys in their prime. There aren't even guys who are 30 and have a hundred caps and have been through this before. They can sort of show them how. And Tim Ream is sort of the one guy that can, and that's valuable. DeAndre Edlin in that same way. I hadn't thought about, I definitely hadn't thought about Yedlin like that, but Reem, Reem is one who I haven't had an issue with. I think you're right that it's always going to be met with like, why is he here? There's also, he was good. Him. He was good against El Salvador. Yeah, I think he's good. It's it's like the nature of the game. He's good if you put him in a position to be good. If you ask him to do things he he can't do oh, yeah, or isn't as good at, he's going to look worse. Matt, Serginho Dest wasn't helping him at all on that left side. He was putting mm-hmm. some uncomfortable spots there. Yep. Right? And he handled them fine. No problem. So I feel like we've talked plenty about the national team. Any other things that you wanted uh, to discuss? Any other players that impressed or didn't oh. impress or any fears, concerns, optimism you have for the next round of qualifying? Um, I think the win in Honduras was basically qualified with the U.S. for the World Cup. Interesting. Um, the next window should be much easier in terms of opponents and setting. Panama, they're, they're, I think they're on five points. So they've gotten off to a good start, but they're not a particularly strong group right now. Uh, Jamaica has obviously struggled in that first window. You get them at home and Costa Rica is not Costa Rica of old right now. And you get them at home too. So I think really you should be shooting for minimum seven points in this window. That would leave you with 12 from six games, two points per game. That's an excellent, excellent start. Uh, That first window was complicated. 
in terms of the travel, like, you know, I was tired after all that flying and I didn't play 90 minutes three times. (laughs) (laughs) I was just there. I was just along for the ride. So it was draining. Um, This one should be easier from that perspective. And, uh, and yeah, I think if they go and they get seven, then I think they're in a really, really good spot. And I fully expect them to get at least six, which would leave them in a really good spot. Um, And they should be on the road to Qatar, man. There we go. And, and Sam, uh, we're going to assume that they, they got maybe a more direct military escort. So you did have at least that delay that they didn't have to deal with. But aside from that, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the optimism. In Honduras, I think it was the same. It was, that thing was efficient, man. Oh, good, good. I don't see how it could be any more direct than what we got. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, I want to ask you, we're recording this on the day of the League's Cup final, making sure that that was the case between Leon and Seattle in Las Vegas. Uh, We've got changes to the CONCACAF Champions League, and then we've got a reimagined League's Cup. That seems to be the word that is used. Uh, Let's start with the League's Cup first. Starting in 2023, it's going to be every MLS team, every Liga MX team uh, in a knockout competition played in late summer. What else do we know about this one, Sam? Oh, my God. Uh... The Liga MX president, <laughs> Mikel Ariola, he was quoted. Yeah. He was quoted in the press release as saying, "This day represents a before and after for mm-hmm. MLS and Liga MX and Concacaf." And I think, I mean, that's a little hyperbolic, but not so much. Like, I think it's pretty accurate. This could be a huge, 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 huge change. We've never seen anything like this ever in the world, right? It's ginormous. Yeah. So. You know, in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of the competition, we'll have a story coming out on The Athletic at some point detailing all this, hopefully soon. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, I think I'm neglecting some edits to record this podcast right now. And I appreciate Um, it. um, So, yeah, it's going to be 47 teams most likely in 2023. I've been told it's World Cup style format. So 2026 World Cup style, which for those who are unfamiliar, it's 16 groups of three. There obviously have to be some sort of shenanigans with the 48th team for the League's Cup, most likely. 16 groups of three, the top two teams advance from out of each group to a knockout round, which is single elimination. So a round of 32 and then on. It's going to be played over the course of the month, of a full month. The teams are, the leagues are going to both pause their seasons for this tournament. Uh, it'll start, it'll most likely be the month of August. Maybe it starts late July. Um, the top three teams are in bursts to the CONCACAF Champions League. There's going to be a significant cash prize. Uh, I'm probably forgetting some things. There's a lot happening here and there are a ton of implications. And as someone who has often been a critic of MLS and the things that it tries to do, I personally think it's pretty cool and pretty smart. For which of the many possible reasons? Well, MLS, it needs to increase the size of its fan base and it especially needs to increase the number of people that watch on television or 
streaming or computers or phones or whatever. It needs more eyeballs, right? Uh, it has tried many things to get more eyeballs. It, all of those things have basically made zero impact. The ratings are pretty stagnant for the most part. Um, this opens the league up to a new market in a way. And that new market is, yeah, League MX fans in Mexico, but League MX fans in the United States, more importantly. And the hope is that some of those fans will watch this tournament and that MLS teams will do well. And some of those fans will, I'm not, I don't want to say convert because I don't think you, I don't think it needs to be an either or, right? But they will become more avid fans of MLS and they'll start going to games and they'll start watching on TV and all of that stuff. So that's, that's one. Um, two, I mean, the, the TV deal is up after the end of 2022. This could add a ton of value for the next meteorites deal. Think about it, right? It's 80 games, 80 games. That's a lot of games to show on television. MLS will be, MLS will be handling selling the rights to American broadcasters Canadian broadcasters. Uh, I imagine this will be a super attractive property for Univision in particular, um, and also for other broadcasters. And this this is happening at a time of year when baseball is the only other sport going on. There's plenty of time for these games to be on the TV schedule, right? So this could be a super valuable property because let's not forget, Liga MX is the most watched soccer league in the United States. More people watch it here than the Premier League, than La Liga, certainly than MLS, I believe more so than the Champions League. So you're glomming onto that audience and you're going to have millions of people watching these games, at least the big ones, millions and millions of people and the ratings should be good and you'll be able to sell that. And like that should really increase the TV deal. And and so Commissioner Don Garber, he wasn't, he, he sort of hinted yesterday that they will sell this separately from the main MLS package. Right. So it'll be a separate deal entirely. And you're talking about millions and millions of dollars more in revenue just for this tournament, probably for each individual team, millions and millions of dollars more just off this tournament. And that's the next step for MLS. That is a crucial thing because right now, and if anyone listens to allocation disorder, you've heard me and Paul talk about this like several billion times. So you can probably hit that fast forward (laughs) 30 button, but (laughs) if you don't, MLS only gets $90 million a year from its current rights agreement from American broadcasters. And that's Univision, ESPN, and Fox. That sounds like a lot of money. It is nothing in the world of, of professional and college sports. Like it's minuscule, nothing. And when and then keep in mind, you're dividing that number by now 27, right? So you're talking about, what is that? Like three and a third a year, maybe yeah. less than that. That's, you know, that's less than most teams is most expensive DP. It's not even one player. It's nothing. So if MLS wants to grow in the way it says it wants to grow, which is to become one of the best leagues in the world by the 2026 World Cup, which will be here, it needs more TV money. And this is a way to sort of get that without having to like dramatically like increase ratings on your own. It's an easy, I want to say it's an easy way to get it, but it's like an achievable way to get it. Right. Um, and so that's really important. Um, there's yeah. there's a ton else going on too, but yeah. Well, I think you mentioned you mentioned with the goal of being this established league or this like globally established league by 2026 when they're hosting. Yeah. It does seem like 2026 is the target for a lot of different things, including mm-hmm. demonstrating that for this joint World Cup, the different federations can work together. That yeah. does seem to be a pretty strong sort of consideration or a strong factor in this that you're going to get 
the teams from all three different countries who will be hosting competing in this competition, playing against each other. And sort of that means more communication, more. Yeah, but it's, sort not, of it's not really the federations. It's the leagues. Good point. Right? So it's different. I mean, I'm sure the federations will be involved with sanctioning and stuff. CONCACAF is obviously involved and they'll be involved in the World Cup as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's good. But I don't I don't know that there's a huge impact on that. And I don't know that there are huge concerns either about a lack of communication between the three before the World Cup. I think all of them have a pretty good relationship at this point. So, um, yes. Let me ask you, let me ask you about things that might be a concern then. Uh, yes. Because as I understand it, uh, mm-hmm. CONCACAF Champions League continues to be the thing that yeah. Major League Soccer not winning. Yeah. And now we're opening it up to uh, all of the teams playing all of the Liga Mekis teams. Yeah. And I'm going to go with uh, yeah, like like present day Toronto FC. I don't know if they're going to be super pumped to get Tigres this time. Maybe well, they were last yes. time when they had yes. the strength to handle them. So, so, so nowadays, you're also getting the lower strength league on the teams, right? This is true. So, so you got to account for that. But yeah, MLS needs to do more to compete, and you know they have the Sounders in the League's Cup final tonight, which is cool and good and wonderful, and everyone loves it. Um, but no, they need to do more to compete. There's zero doubt about that. I'm very, very curious to see if the owners increase spending off of this news, if we see some additions to the CBA or outside of the CBA in terms of salary, budget, and different mechanisms and all that stuff. It is kind of funny how all these things seem to happen right after a CBA is agreed to, by the way. Um, sort of bizarre, huh? Uh, weird, weird how it works like that. Um, so yeah, they need to do a better job of competing. But this is like the CONCACAF angle, I don't think has really been talked about here and it's so interesting to me and if it's not interesting to you then tell me and we don't have to go any further but like let's think about this right if this goes according to plan this league's cup it is going to blow the CONCACAF Champions League out of the water in terms of fan interest like right yeah. like mm-hmm. it's going to blow it out of the water absolutely and, and so okay why is CONCACAF going along with this that's their crown jewel club property that's the thing that they have on the club level. So why are they doing this League's Cup, which could theoretically cannibalize the CCL? Well, they don't really have a choice from my reading of things, right? Let's think about it. Like MLS and Liga Mackies, they wanted this sanctioned by CONCACAF. They wanted it done right and official. And the top three teams get those CCL berths, like I mentioned, right? So it is a lower competition in the overall hierarchy because do this tournament, you qualify for CCL. CCL is the only way to qualify for the Club World Cup, yada, yada, yada. But it's just like they could have done it without CONCACAF. It just wouldn't have been official, right? And you set up some they, – they could have gone all Super League on us, and they still would have gotten all those benefits in terms of media rights and Liga Mackey's, like access to the American market and American and Canadian sponsors and – they could have still benefited in most of the same ways, if not all of the same ways. But so CONCACAF, I think, was smart and sort of saw the writing on the wall. They didn't kick and scream with it, and they went along with it. They maintained a semblance of control. Uh, they theoretically could stand a benefit in CCL, right? Because if MLS and Liga MX get healthier and wealthier off of this and higher profile, well, that should, in theory, boost the entire confederation. So I think it was smart that they didn't kick and scream. But it's kind of interesting too, right? There's there's just like this whole kind of Super League elements to this um, that I don't think is being talked about too, too much. So I don't know. Do you find that interesting, Taylor? I do, because it's definitely not a thing I had thought about before. And you're right that to me, it's like, oh yeah, you get like the biggest 
club teams in the, in the continent or most of the biggest ones like together to play this competition that's a month long that's knockout that's going to be sort of one game ends the next one starts yeah. and they all matter towards crowning a champion that is always going to get more eyes than a tournament that's spread out like look at the champions league even the group stage is often like, match day six of the of yeah. the champions league is is usually the one that's like oh yeah that's still going on right when do we get to the knockout rounds again so there's I not even a group right. stage in the CONCACAF champions league right yeah. now there you mm-hmm. go. That like you like you know <laughs> that tells you a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, and they also, I think, as I understood it, like paired these two announcements that we have the, yeah. the uh, league's yeah. cup change, but then we've also got yeah. the expanded CONCACAF uh, Champions League. The CCL will expand mm-hmm. to twenty-seven clubs in twenty twenty-four. An extra round to accommodate those. Yeah. Do you think then is that is that a move towards like okay, we're gonna have the league's cup that is these three countries essentially, and then we're gonna expand the the sort of confederation tournament to include more people. And now we've, we've kind of covered bases. Is that a way of seeing it? Sort of. I, I think CCL probably needed some changes independent of anything leagues cup related. Um, you know, the current format, like you said, it's kind of weird. It's like just knockout now for the most part. And there's CONCACAF, God, the CONCACAF league, these names all bleed together, which is for the, the clubs from smaller countries where we saw the Suriname 61 year old vice president played yeah. 53 minutes in a match last night. Um, so, so okay, yeah, I think, I think it needed too. some changes regardless, but I think pairing these two announcements was sort of a way to allow CONCACAF to like save a little face, honestly, mm-hmm. and like say, Hey, this is our big important thing. And like, Oh yeah, there's that league's cup thing, which is a much bigger thing. It's a much bigger thing. But by letting CONCACAF kind of lead the way, you sort of mollify any bruised egos over there. Um, so, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, we, we talked to Victor Montagliani in, at an event in New York yesterday. And, you know, Garber and Mikel Ariola, the Liga MX president, they were both like, yeah, you know, like, we think League's Cup will elevate um, CCL. And we think, you know having CCL adds legitimacy to League's Cup, right? Because you got the three bursts, there's competitive things at stake. And I think that latter part is somewhat self-evident, but I don't really see how League's Cup benefits CCL like super directly. And Montagliani was pressed on that and he couldn't really give a good answer. He was just kind of like, "Eh, blah, 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 club (laughs) unity. Mm -hmm. And that's good. Kumbaya. And like, sure, I guess. But, like, if you can't really offer specifics, it's kind of telling, right? But, again, what was CONCACAF's other choice? Stand in the way, cause a huge headache, and block something that you're really not going to be able to block anyhow? And then also not get the money from it, which yeah. they will now get because it's an official competition. So, that I give, I give them it. credit for seeing the mm-hmm. big picture here, honestly, and going along with this and, and trying to maximize it for themselves. And seeing the big picture, seeing the opportunity that the Nations, or excuse me, uh, not the Nations League, the League's Cup. Cup. Yeah, yeah, there's too many competitions. We should come up with a new name for that. There's too much soccer, man. There's too much. Yeah, we should. I leave that to you and Paul and Allocation Disorder. I'm sure y'all would be able to find a sponsor for it, too. Um, Is there, like, you know the MLS teams far better than I far better than probably most people, or you at least that. understand some some of the people behind the scenes. Is there anyone, is there any team that you think is already like, we want to win that thing? Like, I know every team theoretically yeah. wants to go in and get it, but do you think there's anybody who really is going to look at that League's Cup and think, that is a priority, we want to win that first one? Um, Seattle. Uh, Atlanta. Yep. 
LAFC, <laughs> Toronto. Those are probably the top four. Oh, Lyle thinks I'm forgetting someone. Lyle, will you chill out, dog? Come on, man. Sorry, Lyle, a New England fan? <laughs> I don't know if New England is going to be in that group. I, so I say those for specific reasons. LAFC, Atlanta, probably not going to surprise anyone there, right? Like, they're big clubs. They try hard. They want to win things. You know, they've Atlanta has won a Campiones Cup, and they they tried hard in that game. LAFC lost a final of a Champions League, and they came very, very close to winning it, even though it was a COVID Champions League, so it was kind of weird and different. Um, and then Seattle, they're in the League's Cup final. You know, they, they've treated that with, like, a lot of respect and importance um, in ways that will probably hurt them in MLS. Um, but, hey, that's the trade-off. And, and then Toronto as well. They've obviously made runs in the Champions League in the past, and particularly with Seattle and Toronto – you know, Toronto is run by President Bill Manning. Seattle GM is Garth Lagerwey. Both of those guys were at RSL when RSL lost, was the first team to advance from MLS to the CONCACAF Champions League final and lost to Monterey in that final, um, in a game, in a final that they should have won after they drew 2-2 on the road and had the home leg and, and they lost. Um, and that was 10 years ago, but I, I'm pretty sure both those guys are still pretty scarred from that. And they badly want to be the first to kind of be the MLS team that takes out and wins the regional competition against the MX. So I think we'll see uh, emphasis from those two. But Toronto has to get his house in order first before that can happen. And then I'm sure FC Dallas is going to uh, prioritize yes, that. They're definitely going to win it. They're definitely going to yeah. uh, find a way to win, but yeah. they are not going to spend money or invest it into players, yeah. which is my way of transitioning into talking about Lucha Gonzalez getting fired. Sure. Uh, I, I appreciated your article about this one. Uh, Dan Hunt spoke about how the team needs to perform better. The fans deserve a squad that is challenging for the title. I like yeah. to think that he delivered those remarks while simultaneously selling another homegrown player to Europe and then being confused why they didn't yeah. have personnel. Yeah. Um, am I being too harsh on him or does this because this feels like maybe Lucia Gonzalez wasn't the right guy but maybe also the situation isn't great things can be two things but it feels harsh to blame him when you've sold like 14 players in the last like 20 minutes yes and no right so Dallas clearly has a model right and that they do really well with it like their academy has been great they produce players for the national team that aren't even on FC Dallas anymore like Kellen Acosta is an FC Dallas product Mm mm-hmm Right? He doesn't play for them. He doesn't play in Europe. But he's an FC Dallas product right? in in ways that even some of the current guys like Chris Richards, who spent eight months in the academy or whatever, are not. Um, so they deserve a ton of credit for that. Um, and their model is cool. It's sustainable. And like I wrote this piece and I, one of my regrets is not kind of hammering this point home a little bit further. But it's all well and good to be that way. But don't be that way. And then come out and be like, we're challenging for MLS Cup. And hold your coach to the standard where he has to challenge for MLS Cup. Otherwise, he's getting fired. When he hasn't even missed the playoffs once yet. Looks like they're going to miss it this year. But he made the playoffs his first two years. So, like, the expectations and the reality are out of whack there. And the public narrative and what it actually is, not in lockstep. The public narrative that the the club's Mm -hmm. pushing, right? And that is, we're trying to win MLS Cup every year. No, you're not. You're not. You're trying to win it on your terms. And if you want to make it on your terms, that's fine. But don't come out here and be like, yeah, no, we expect to win MLS Cup. Well, then if you expect to win MLS Cup, you need to behave like LAFC, like Atlanta, like Toronto, like Seattle. And you need to spend money, right? More money than you do right now. Because right now you're middle of the pack to low pack in spending. And should they be better given their level of spend? 100%. 
they miss on their foreign signings left and right. Let's and, talk about that. And if they just hit on some of those with the academy and the advantages that that gives them in terms of like, you know, punching mm-hmm. above their weight with roster spend, then they would be much better. Right. So it's not like they need to break the bank to be a real contender, but they just have a very small margin for error. And the example I'll use is Philadelphia. Philadelphia last year in a weird season, they win supporter shield, right? Philly was like, yes, this is great. We're really proud. Our model is working, but like, you know what they weren't doing Taylor? They weren't being like, we're contenders every year now. (laughs) No, they were like, this probably ain't going to happen for a while. We're going to sell these guys. And like, we're not going to like have a ton of money to make replacements. And like, should it be better in a market like Philadelphia? Yeah. But at least they're not lying to us. And that's the thing that really bothers me about Dallas. And that's the thing I wish I drove home more in the piece is if you want to have this model, cool, that's fine. They actually execute pretty well, man. But like, don't turn around and tell me that you are one of the MLS elite who should be contending for cup every year because that's not what you are. Yeah, it's like a it's like an NFL team drafting a rookie quarterback. It's like you would love to win the Super Bowl, but the priority is maybe bringing that player yes. along and developing them. So yes. then to say like we're definitely going to win the Super Bowl, or even like Ajax, if Ajax came out and said we're winning the Champions League this season, yes, we sold a bunch of our academy players yeah. and we've replaced some of them. We don't know how it's going to go, but we're definitely going to win. It just feels at odds, and you're right; it feels disingenuous fundamentally. So, and that's that's the problem I have with it. Like huh. they do they do a lot of they do the academy thing super well. Super, super well. So just own that, basically. Yeah. And and they do own that part of it. They don't own the other mm-hmm. side of it, where they don't spend on the first team in ways that the big clubs do. And Dallas is the fourth largest market in the league. The Hunts have money. Like, and who am I to say, and this is, this is a thing that I get conflicted on with myself all the time. Who am I to say, hey, Clark and Dan Hunt, you know, you guys lose eight, 10 million a year on FC Dallas, whatever it is, right? Why don't you lose 20 million a year instead? Because if they went out and spent and signed better mm-hmm. foreign signings and more expensive foreign signings, I don't think that's really going to change their bottom line all that much in the short term. Maybe in the long term it does, but not in the short term. So you're going to lose more money. Who am I to say that, right? But again, just be upfront with it. Just say what you are. Like, and hold your coach to a fair standard. And like, if Luchi Gonzalez wasn't doing it and if he lost the locker room and if you think he's performing below expectations, then sure, you know, fine. But like, don't be like, hey, we need to win MLS Cup. Man, you have the 16th highest payroll in the league. Like, you're playing a lot of kids. Like, that shouldn't be the expectation and that shouldn't be the standard on which you judge your employees. But if they have the network in place to develop these young players to get them into the academy in the first place and then bring them through mm-hmm. it would stand a reason that they've got a fairly elaborate extensive scouting network that knows what the areas no, of need are and no, fills them with dps no, no why don't no, they no because they don't right why why is that why do they whiff on those dps as hard as they do why do they whiff on these dps i don't know there are a million different reasons for any one individual signing um, what I can tell you is that Dallas doesn't have the same level of infrastructure in terms of scouting, in terms of yeah. analytics, in terms of staff, um, and number of people in that front office that a lot of these other clubs do. And, you know, having those people and having those resources doesn't guarantee anything. Toronto has a ton of that stuff. They're not doing so hot this year, right? Cincinnati has a lot of that stuff. They're no great squad, right? Atlanta has had hard times. They have a lot of that stuff. But it makes it easier, right? Like it makes it easier. It puts your it puts your club in a better position to succeed, 
right? And right now, the way Dallas operates, they have really small margin for error. So, you know, if you rely on a lot of kids and you don't spend at the top of the league, well, guess what? You need to hit on like all your signings. Otherwise, you're not going to be that good. Like Philly talked about that a lot last year. They were like, yeah, we have a really small margin for error. And they hit on all their signings or most of them. And they're plucking guys like like Jose Martinez for 125K a year and he has a great season, right? Out of nowhere. Casper Shabilko, a free agent from the German third division, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's like scores a ton of goals. Kai Wagner, German third division, best left back in the league. Right? And it's hard to do that. I'm not saying Dallas has to execute that efficiently. It's unreasonable. But if you want to actually succeed and win trophies and contend year after year after year after year at the level of spend that they are, then you have to. Hmm. And that's a pretty impossible thing. So small margins for error for Philly, for FC Dallas. Bigger a- for Dallas than Philly, but yes. Fair. And then a, a large margin for error when it comes to the table for New England, 15 points ahead of yeah. Nashville. They're top of the East. Uh, definitely seem like they are the candidates to win the Supporter Shield. Think? I think there is some speculation they could even break the points record. There what is. have been the biggest factors in this successful season so far? Bruce Arena. What else has been a big factor? No, I mean, let's talk about Bruce. No, so, all right, so I have a unique perspective on this. And I, I was talking to somebody at the Revs not long ago about this. But I was in Boston. When I was living there, when Brad Friedel was fired and Bruce took over and I was like close to that team, I had just gone on a charter with them to Kansas City to write a story about what's it like for an MLS team to fly charter. Um, so I was like very, very like around that. And I saw the turnaround. That team was, can I say ass? That team was ass <laughs> under Brad Friedel. They were terrible. They lost at home to Cincinnati. Like that's how bad they were. Right. And then Bruce came in. And it's the same team until Gustavo Bo arrived like a month and a half later. And they didn't lose for like three months. It's the Do same you think coaching matters? Is that what I'm hearing from you? Not just coaching because Bruce, Bruce is famous or infamous mm-hmm. for being like, ah, oh, tactics, who gives a crap? Oh, yeah. stats, that doesn't mean anything. What Bruce is really, really good at, and it's so hard to articulate, and I've talked to players on the Revs about this, talked to people around the Revs about this, But like what he's really good at is like being viciously honest and being very straightforward, right? And saying, hey, this is what you're good at. Here's what I need you to do. If you do it, you're going to play and you're going to play a big role. And if you don't, someone else will be. Hmm. And I think he is the perfect balance of a guy who is like a player's coach and is understanding and is straightforward but and and like a guy that guys want to play for and like feel positively about and also someone that they're kind of afraid of you know and like I, again this is a hard thing to articulate but you need both of those things if you're a head coach and for some reason he has it right and mentality to me is so important in MLS like under Brad Friedel none of those guys felt secure but it wasn't like in a good, it's not a good insecurity where it's like, Oh, I need to fight and compete for my spot every week. It was like, if I take a bad touch, I'm getting yanked from this game and I'm not playing for two weeks. And like, he's going to yell and scream at us after the game. And we're going to have to run Hills. Literally. He had them running Hills Taylor. Like literally running Hills. Yeah. And, and and like Bruce is like, you know, uh, guys seem a little, they seem a little burned out. They need two or three days off. Right. So like that's like the soft side of Bruce. That's like the, the I was, player I wasn't, side of Bruce. 
Right? I wasn't sure if that was going to be like, they need two or three days off, so they're going to run even more hills. No. If that was his mentality, or if it was actually give them the days no, off. No, it's like, give them the days off. And then they'll come back. And, and, and again, like, if you don't perform to the standards that he gives you, then you're not going to play. But you're going to know what those standards are. And you're going to know if you're hitting them or not. And like, you know, at that point, it's on you as a player. Mm-hmm. And that's all you can really ask for. So I think mentality is just so important in MLS. The margins on talent are still pretty small for the most part between teams. And uh, Bruce, I think I don't think there's anyone better at, at creating that good mentality in a locker room in MLS and finding players who can fit into it too. And a lot of those guys on Bruce teams are Americans. If mentality is one of the most, or if, if it's the most important thing, Sam, for you, who who is like on the bubble of the playoffs or outside the playoff picture right now looking in that you think <laughs> has the mentality to be able to get to the playoffs to make a, a fairly deep run, if not win the whole thing? Who do you think could get in there and, and make a or make a few surprising results? Uh, hmm. DC, maybe um, maybe Miami. You know, Miami has been all over the place in terms of mentality this year, right? Mm-hmm. but they're going in a pretty good direction. Right now, apart from their most recent result. Is Mentality lost. one of the players they tried to sign as their seventh DP? Yeah. <laughs> they can't afford him. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if LAFC gets in, they can do it. But I wouldn't say that for mentality reasons. Like, mentality reasons. You want to talk about mentality. San Jose. Like, man, I need to do a story on San Jose at some point And just, like, yeah. how they behaved in the bubble. Because, like, I've heard from other players and other people that were down there that, like, San Jose was, like, at summer camp. Like everyone else was like miserable and being like, man, why do we got to be here? We're trapped in this stupid hotel in Orlando. No, this is dumb. I hate this. Blah, 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 blah. COVID. These games are like, I'm playing at nine in the morning. What is going on? And San Jose is just like running around, smiles on their face, playing all the games <laughs> in the pool that MLS had set up for them. Like, and like, that's very much like a Matias Almeida type of thing. Um, they're not very good. Right. So I- I'm not going to say if they get into the playoffs, they're going to make some deep run, but. Um, you know, and maybe things have changed in the last year and a half since MLS is back, but I, I think they like each other and they want to fight and they work hard for each other. <laughs> so, I like that you know, there's that. Um, but yeah, I, DC, Miami, um, I could see, I could see some things happening there, um, in terms of teams on the outside, Montreal deserves a lot of credit for where they're at. Um, people are still sleeping on Colorado and Nashville a little bit. Um, and those are teams, under the radar, chip on our shoulder, you don't give us enough respect, that sort of thing, that can carry teams far. Uh, so, yeah, I just named half the league, so super good answer. It was. And I will end it there instead of asking you the next question that was going to make the rest of the league angry at you, Sam. We don't what? need to end on that negative note. We can end on a positive. What's the question? Who is the team or who are the teams that are in the playoff like race right now in those top seven spots in each conference that like is most likely to fall out or is most likely to crash out of the playoffs in unceremonious fashion. Um, hmm. You see maybe Portland. I don't think they're going to fall out of the playoffs, but I don't really see them going far. Mm -hmm. They've been such a weird team this year. Like they haven't been good, but here they are fighting for a home game in the playoffs. I don't know. Um, So yeah, maybe Portland. I regret asking you to ask me that question. See, See? let's cut this out. I knew things. I knew things. No, Lyle says it stays in, so it stays in. This is an allocation disorder. Well, you're not the you boss. And the producers do things, Sam. <laughs> Joe, cut it out. 
Uh, well, you can say that tomorrow or whenever you all are recording your allocation disorder episode for this Middle week. And I've really been sometime. enjoying uh, you two together. You uh, BFFs for life. That's the yeah, second that's right. time I've said the acronym and then what it means as best one friends thing. forever for life for life. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's it's connecting you in this world and the next. It's there like Major go. League Soccer Soccer dot com. Yeah. And you got to add a V in there as well, just to really get it, uh, get it all across. Sam, thank you so much for taking all the time to talk about uh, all of the many things we've talked about today. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. Leagues Cup yep. forever. Leagues Cup forever for life. Uh, listeners, thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you all again soon.